Father, we just come to you. We come to you, Lord Jesus, because we believe you alone have the words of life. We have come this morning once again for your life. That life that overcomes. That life that brings victory. That life that becomes a light to the world. That life alone that can become a witness of the living God. You said my words are life. Speak to us this morning. Behind the voice of man. Behind the words of man. I pray our ears will be open. To the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. We will hear. We will believe. We will obey. And your word says the word of God has the power to work in those who believe. Keep us, keep changing us, Father. The world is changing fast and hurtling towards the judgment day. But your people change us from within. From glory to glory. So that as our redemption draws nigh. We will have that boldness to lift up our heads. And say truly from our hearts. Come Lord Jesus. Speak Father. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen. 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 If you've been here the past uh, this whole month. And uh, the previous weeks too. We've been looking at different facets of of salvation. We were looking at salvation in terms of light and darkness. Why does God use these illustrations, these metaphors? Salvation has light and the unsaved has being in darkness. We've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Therefore, we are able to see, see spiritually. Our spiritual eyes are open. And the most beautiful illustration in the Bible we have is Saul of Tarsus, three days blind after he encounters encounters, uh, Jesus, led by the people whom he was leading because of his blindness. Three days later, his eyes open and he starts leading the people who led them. That's what light does, spiritual light does. Because unless we are able to see, everybody at some point or other is a leader. You are leading somebody. And even if you are not leading anybody, you are leading yourself. And if your eyes are not open to the light of God, you are a blind guide. And you are leading yourself into that ditch. Because if we don't see as God sees, we cannot lead. So we saw that. We saw salvation in terms of righteousness. And that's the most most important one. Salvation, what happens on earth and what happens in heaven is totally different. In heaven, it is a judicial act of God. When a man hears the gospel, the spirit of God convicts his heart. He sees as he truly is in the light of God's holiness. He cries out to God. He repents. And God shows mercy Sins are forgiven and then God declares him righteous with the righteousness of God. That is when a person is born again. So salvation is a judicial act of God when God not just forgives somebody but actually declares him righteous. Then over the past few weeks we've been looking at truth. God as truth. 
And if you remember, uh, now we don't have to turn there, I'm just giving you the references in Isaiah 65 and verse 16, scripture calls God as the God of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And anywhere in human history in the past 2000 years, the most controversial statement Jesus ever made was that. Everything else people will digest. But that one thing when he says, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father other than through me is literally throwing a spanner into the works. Everybody gets upset, meaning you mean to say you are the only way. And he says, yes, I am the only way. You mean to say you are the truth? He says, I am the truth outside of me. You will never know what truth is. Remember, that's what we've been looking at. And in scripture, in John 17, 17, God says, sanctify them by your word, by your truth. Your word is truth. So he not only is the person, the absolute truth for you and me, because we are in this spiritual, physical realm, though the spiritual realm encompasses us, he has given us something physical to refer to. And he says, my word is the truth. That's why this should define our life. And in John 16 and verse 13, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you to all the truth. And that truth will set us free. And we also saw, and we see in the history, we studied the whole testament closely and the history of Israel closely because we see that history being repeated in the history of the church. Israel fell and was taken into captivity because of truth. And even today, truth is the casualty. All around the world, in the streets of the world, the young people, the old people, the cry is for justice, the cry is for righteousness, the cry is for equity, cry is for fairness, but all this cries in our own personal lives, we want justice, we want righteousness, we want fairness, the cry in your office, the cry in your home, the cry in your life, all this is not going to happen until one thing takes place in our lives. In Isaiah 59 and verse 14, we've looked at it, we want to go back to it, justice is turned back. Our God is the God of justice. Even if we cry out for justice, He turns, look at justice as a person, God the person, the judge, the just one. He turns his back. He is the righteous one. Righteousness stands far off. We are crying out for righteousness. It stands far off. The reason is equity cannot even enter. Simply because truth has fallen in the street. If truth is fallen, Every cry of our heart to God stops until truth rises up again in our lives, in our homes, in the churches. And when we are talking about truth, we looked at it in detail. This truth, what God is talking about is absolute. There is no wavering. That's why we have terms like God is truth. God is the rock, unshakable. Because truth doesn't change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How can he be the same? Because he is the truth. Truth does never changes. It's absolute. It's not relative. 
even if no one knows it truth is still true even if no one admits it truth is still true even if no one agrees with it truth is still true even if no one follows it truth is still true it it does not change it cannot change and man's primary issue is with truth and jesus said my word is the truth he did not say it is information he did not say my truth my word is information he said my word is truth not information actually we most people treat the newspaper more seriously than we treat this truth jesus said is the way i am the way the truth truth is the way and the way is the truth okay we have other terms like god is love but personally i can tell you from experience and when i look into the word god is love but the triune god does not seem to express love the same way the father seems to be more like the father in a home tough disciplinarian the son is the one who gives his life the holy spirit seems to be very sensitive so the triune god though they all three are love they don't seems to express love the same way but when it comes to truth the father the son and the holy spirit are the same they are the same you experience the father the son and the holy spirit when it comes to truth the same way in that most famous saying of israel like the muslim prays every morning the 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 jewish believer hasish i don't know how you pronounce it in hebrew shama he deuteronomy 64 can you tell says hero israel the lord thy god is one the question is how is god the father the son and the holy spirit one what makes them one it is truth that makes them one the father the son and the holy spirit is one because all three are true and they are absolute when it comes to truth we need to keep this in our hearts minds because the casualty that has happened in the world is truth has fallen do you know that that uh, that uh, uh portion in the in the new testament when the scribe comes to jesus and says lord which is the greatest commandment right which is the greatest commandment what did jesus answer which is the greatest commandment can you tell me but what did jesus actually say jesus answered him the first of all commandments is hear o israel the lord thy god is one is this the lord thy god is one this is connected for me i understand this is connected with truth and we don't accept god's truth as absolute you cannot love god with all your heart what are you loving when scripture talks about jesus in the book of revelation has the true and the faithful one what are you faithful to if you do not know what truth is 
how do you evaluate your love saying i love god with all my heart all my mind all my strength if you don't accept god as truth it's not feelings it's not emotions it's not even talking about works it's talking about something bigger that's why this is so important through the bible about god talking about truth because we don't even unless we encounter jesus christ and we know jesus christ we don't even know what truth is so the question is how do we process truth how do we like let us say how do we process information think about this as a street okay this is a street a car was coming from there and a car was going from here there is an accident and sitting over here looks from this side and says this is what happened dr richard sitting from here and says this is what happened the driver sitting in the car says this is what happened the driver sitting in that car says this is what happened the police helicopter sitting in the top says this is what happened which is true do you realize nobody knows the truth the whole truth only god knows then suddenly the driver's daughter says the accident happened when daddy took his phone suddenly you have a piece of more information when the police checks the other car's driver and checks his breath he says his alcohol content is a little higher when the mechanic checks this car he sees the brakes has failed what is the truth it's why god says don't judge anything because you do not know the truth you do not know the truth we can only process information based on the facts we perceive that doesn't mean it is the truth me it's the truth right is each part of the information real yes but is it the whole truth no that's why a day is kept in future called the day of judgment incredible day where jesus will judge and scripture says in isaiah he will not judge by what he hears by what he sees in righteousness he will judge meaning he will judge it based on truth the whole truth but scripture says the spiritual man judges all things but he himself is not judged so who is the spiritual man the spiritual man is the one who has received the love of truth and is always in the pursuit of truth in the person of jesus christ remember we are born again by truth we grow in righteousness only if we pursue truth and we need I want to tell you something i don't know, I, we have looked at this earlier probably mentioned here earlier but i want i want to look at it if you look at the four gospels the encounters of jesus christ 
with people. And the book of Acts, the apostles encounters with people. We always see people coming to Jesus and they're receiving something from Jesus. A miracle, a feeding of 5,000, calming of storms, all kinds of miracles happening. And we'll always realize at the end of it, what is commended? Faith is commanded. It is, they receive it all because of faith. So we know so much about faith and we say it's impossible to please God without faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We know it all. But it's just a very tiny fraction of faith. Faith comes from hearing from the word of God. Okay. Now take faith off. Or keep faith over there. Instead the word of God. Let's put truth there. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from from the truth. Now you go to those foundational statements which Martin Luther used from John, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. In the gospel. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. Yeah, 17 is enough. The just shall live by, just shall live by. So how do you live by faith? What is the word of God? It is the truth. See, as long as we think about faith as receiving the power of God to ease our problems, this statement is very easy. But that's not what he's saying. It says you have to live by faith. You were justified because you were born by the word of God. And now he says, you have to live by faith. And that faith is truth. How do you know? Because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress what? The truth. They suppress the truth. This is not talking about miracles. This is not talking about healing. This is not talking about deliverance. This is not talking about calming of stops. This is talking about a way of life. And he says, when the just walk by faith, they are not suppressing the truth. They are exhibiting the truth in their lives. And they are declared by faith, righteous unto righteous unto righteous. That's why I said, our major issue is with truth. Because everybody is picking on one or two little bits of truth and they make their own life history based on it. But scripture says the judge shall live by truth. And we saw last uh, last Sunday, remember Adam and Eve? How as soon as they fell, the attack is always against the truth. When enemy comes and says, did God really say? The attack is against the truth. And once they swallow, they fall, they cover themselves, Jesus comes, everything is okay until Jesus comes into the picture. As soon as they heard his voice, scripture says, though they had covered themselves, they ran and hid. All our coverings, all our arguments, all our justifications will not stand. When that trumpet blows... Our nakedness will be revealed unless we have constantly judged ourselves and covered ourselves with his truth. When that voice blows, that's why scripture warns throughout the book of Revelation. All those who have ears, let them hear. Not my voice. The voice of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit voice is the only voice that can reveal mine and your nakedness. 
And when he comes, we don't have to be ashamed. We need to be covered. And remember how they make their own, what we call today, taught in academics. You pay through your nose to learn what Adam and Eve told their own relative truth. Did you eat? Who told you are naked? Did you eat? Immediately what does Adam say? The woman you gave, gave it to me. Absolutely fact, factual. Because scripture says in Genesis 3, 6, the woman took, she ate, and she gave it to Adam. And scripture says in Genesis 2, God made the woman out of man and gave it to her. So he's absolutely factual. But is that the truth? No. What is the truth? The day you eat of this tree, you will die. Your facts, even the scripture you use to justify your action should tally with the truth. Because people often will use scripture to justify their disobedience. That's what believers do. Unbelievers don't do that. Believers do. Believers are very smart. They use scripture to justify their disobedience. And that's what Adam said. And that's what Eve also said. But it did not work. The serpent deceived me, which is very true. The book of Timothy says he was deceived. But does that escape? No. What does scripture say? Is the question, what is the truth? That's why truth is an unbelievably powerful divider. We saw that on Sunday. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Scripture says the word of God is a double edge. It's living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a discerner. It goes through of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Like, while you are hearing this, if you are mad at me, I wouldn't know, but the word of God reveals it. If you are tuning off, I wouldn't know, but the word of God reveals it. You are tuning it off. I wouldn't know. If you are gritting your teeth, even your neighbor won't hear, but the word of God knows. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him whom we must give account. That's why God uses metaphors like sword, light, to explain to us what truth means. Let's look at a couple of statements before we go to the meat of today's word. Romans 7, 7 and 7, 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And verse 12. Therefore the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. So don't get angry with the law because the law is holy. Because the lawgiver is holy. The law is just because the lawgiver is just. The law is good. Because God is? Okay. Everybody, worship leader will come and say, God is good? Now can we say law is good? Why don't you say all the time? <laughs> so deep inside, we don't think the law is good. <laughs> you know what, Romans 5.20, another verse. Moreover, law entered that offense might abound. Lord, that's not fair. You want offense to increase? Sin to increase? Transgression to increase? 
But where sin abounded, grace abounded, much more. Okay, let's leave the second part. What does it actually mean? What does it actually mean? Imagine, okay? You're good in imagination, right? We're a very imaginative generation. Imagine Hyderabad, the same street in which we all came, let us say, 80 years back. 80 years back. One lane. No cars. No bikes. Rickshaws. When I first came to Hyderabad, the people used to come to Iflu. Profs used to come to Iflu by rickshaw. 91. If you go by rickshaw, you'll probably end up dead. Rickshaws? Bullockarts? Think. Just think, okay? 80 years back, 90 years back. The same road. And then, inventions. Why inventions? Because man ate from the tree of knowledge. Good and evil. That knowledge of good results in all these inventions. But that's not alone that what we ate. We also ate along with it evil. So inventions came. Roads became double. Cards came. Trucks came. Along. 80 years back, if you and I were alive, we walked on this road. There is no cops. There is no traffic policemen. There is no challan. There is no lights. There is no cameras. Inventions came. Wonderful roads. Full of vehicles. Along with it came. Cops, chalans, traffic police, traffic offense courts. Why? Along with good, offense also increases. Right? Offense increases. We didn't have any of these traffic laws eight years ago. Why did these laws all came? Offense increased, therefore law came. Law came, offense increased. Knowledge is good, but also evil came along. Eighty years ago, there was no hit and run unless the bullock hit you. (laughs) Unless the donkey collapsed on you, you never got hurt. But today, 30 years back, there was no cyber crime, no cyber theft, no cyber security. But thieves were always there. Okay, understand. What is the core of it all? The world kept on changing, but truth never died. Truth never changed. You could break into somebody's house 50 years ago and steal his money. Today you could use your laptop and hack into somebody's account and steal his money. And truth declares the fellow who got into the house 50 years ago and the fellow who got in through the internet space, both a thief. Why? Because truth has never changed. As God said, thou shall not steal. Not steal. Truth is a constant because God is a constant. 
and his word is truth. That's why Psalm 138 and verse 2 says you have exalted your word above all your name. Put instead of word there, truth, and then it will make sense. You have magnified your truth above all your name. Does it start making sense? And your and my beginning with God, which we call salvation, in James chapter 1, verse 18, our beginning, our history begins with God. History began in this world when we are born of our father and mother, began with God, because by his own will, like Jesus will tell to the Tell to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. You were not born because of the will of the husband. In the flesh we were born because of the will of the man. In the spirit we are born because of his will. His will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Word of truth. The word of God confronts us. That's when real salvation takes place. It confronts us who we really are and who God is. When we hear, we repent, we believe, and our journey begins. And then, John 16, 13 says, the Holy Spirit is given. Yes, it's 13, yeah. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. You see that? The father says, listen to my son. The spirit says, I will not speak anything of my own. I will only speak what the son says. Why? Because the son is represented to us as the truth. Now, let me ask, everybody ask for the Holy Spirit. Is that what we are asking for? Lord, guide me into all truth. Who you are, who I am. So that I can become like you. In John 14, verse 15 to 17, Jesus says, The world, if you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. Need you understand? The world cannot receive the Holy Spirit because he is the spirit of truth and the world is built on lies. And our lives in the world was also built on lies. So the world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. They will not receive the Holy Spirit because he is the spirit of truth. It neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. You know him. You know him. Because he is in us and he dwells in us. I want us to meditate on these verses about Holy Spirit has truth. See, the Holy Spirit can never make us free outside the Son, the Word of God. So everywhere we seek truth and God seeks for those who seek truth. Jesus, remember, said something to Pilate. We are just recapping, okay, a little in John 18 and verse 37. You rightly say that I am a king. But for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. He is not only the truth, he bears witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth hears my voice. 
So truth has a voice. Christ has a voice. And God says, if we are born of truth, and we are constantly seeking truth, and allowing the Holy Spirit to work truth in us, we will constantly hear His voice. And our Bible, what we call devotions, will be exciting. Our Bible studies will be very personal. And we cannot put it down because we are hearing a voice. Think about, I put a movie over here with no sound. How long can you watch? Right? If you have nothing to do, you will watch. But other than that, you have to figure out, wonder what they are saying. Because there is no voice. You know why this becomes so burdensome for so many Christians? Because they don't hear the voice. If you hear the voice, this is more exciting than the most exciting fiction man can write. Because this is not fiction. This is God speaking. So the question is, how do we seek truth? Truth is expensive. Let me tell you this. Salvation is free. But after that, nothing is free. There are four things God says through Solomon we are required to buy in life. In Proverbs 23 and verse 23, buy truth, don't sell it. Buy wisdom, buy instruction, buy understanding. Buy truth, buy wisdom, by instruction, by understanding. By this very term, by. Means there is labor involved. There is a price involved. It doesn't come free. In life, you will have to pay for it. And once you get it, he says, don't sell it. Don't waste it away. Don't give it away for something that is stupid. Like Esau threw away his birthright for a potful of stew. Like Solomon gained all these things and threw it away for something silly and stupid. The same man who said it did not keep it. He bought it and then he sold it. He says, it is expensive. It will cost you. Every person who has been successful in a career in the world also knows it cost him in other areas. It didn't come free. Unless your certificates were bought. Doesn't come free. Scripture says by truth, by wisdom, by instruction, by understanding. And we're looking at saying, God, do you sell stuff? He says, I do. I'll demand your time. I'll demand your attention. I'll demand your life if you want this. Because it's expensive. Doesn't come free. He says, once you get it, don't sell it. Because truth will cost you. Wisdom will cost you. Instruction will cost you. Understanding will cost you what? It will cost you friends. It will cost you even your family at times. Sometimes even your own life. Jesus died not because of his miracles. Jesus died because of the truth he preached. The apostles died because of truth. For 2,000 years, believers die because of truth. It's expensive. Let's do a little practical here, okay? We shall go into the practical part of it. 
theory to practical. John 1.17. We should know it very well by now. Law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's why this is put over there. Grace, the unbelievable power of the Holy Spirit towards those who believe. Because this is so difficult and so expensive that without grace, nobody can be able to understand, seek and keep truth. Truth came through Jesus Christ. Law came through Moses. In 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, scripture says, God has made us sufficient as the ministers of the new covenant and not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, that is the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the law, it gives life. When the Holy Spirit doesn't come on the law, it kills. Okay. So what is truth? Truth is the Holy Spirit coming upon the law. So you understand, what did God really mean? So what is the Spirit saying? That is the truth. So let us apply it little by little on things which are, should be very familiar, very common in our lives. One of the most common things like breathing should be in a believer's life is prayer. How many of you do not pray? Wow, everybody prays. Hallelujah, Lord. I got a prayerful church. I thank you, Lord. Okay. Prayer is very, it should be natural, common. Let's look at what Jesus says about prayer. When the Spirit comes upon prayer, which is all through the Old Testament in the New Covenant, He says, this is how you need to pray. 6.5 When you pray, not if you pray. So He takes it for granted. You need to pray. When you pray, you shall not be like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, this is each talking about personal prayer. Church has different kinds of prayer. But a man's life, a woman's life is not defined by the prayer that takes place in the church. It is not defined by even the fasting and prayer. It is not even defined by the family prayer. A person's life is defined by his personal prayer. When it comes to that, scripture says in verse 6, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things. Oh, let's go to the next verse. Okay, yeah. Your father already knows the things you have need of before you ask. And then he tells. What is the next verse? But when you pray. What are you supposed to do? Go into your room. And when you have shut your door. go Not only go into your shop. Shut your room. Nobody needs to know. Nobody has to know about your prayer life. Shut your room. See it's very difficult to do this consistently. Because we like being seen and like being heard and like being talked about our prayer life. Pray to your father who is in secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You see, when you get into your room, and shut the door, your prayer actually becomes normal. Because there's nobody to hear. Except God. 
In other words, therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Prayer. Okay? Now let's look at verse 9 and 10. In this manner, therefore pray. Our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. The question is, how zealous are we for his name? How zealous are we for his name? You know, the first act of Jesus in public, recorded in the gospel according to John, in John chapter 2, yes? He said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. He was so zealous for the name of God. The temple had significance because God had put his name on it. In the new covenant, Jesus says, who is his temple? Us. Now, this is just the outer courts. He did not even go to the holy place. I don't know what he would have done if he had gone to the holy place. Just the outer courts. Now, let's look at ourselves in the mirror and say, Lord, what is my outer courts? Oh, your body, right? Are we zealous for his name concerning our body? Thy name. Do you understand when the spirit comes, how he shows what it means? Instead, what do we do? We we should be concerned about this place because we gather over here and you'll always know. It needs to be good because this is the place we gather and his presence is there. That's why if you ever ask a man, and I always by mistake ask a man, put the curtains and every time I come over here and I see, they don't understand what it is to draw the curtains. So when a man does it, he does it like this, flat. If you ask a girl to do it, she will see those frills are there. Last time I also asked, it was a man. And he was not doing anything wrong. But that is the way a man is. So next time, curtains let girls. You see, when girls put the curtains, did you see all that? You know what the boys do? Roll it and push it in. You see the difference. And yet we want to become like the same one gender. You see, new covenant, he put his name on us. And we have made this house a marketplace. This house a marketplace. How many of you can honestly say, I spent more time last week with the word of God than shopping? I'm not talking about your work. That you need to do. Then shopping. You know why? We brought the marketplace in. And he's zealous for his house. Bodies. Our minds with the false ideas and ideologies of this world. Bitterness and Anger, lies. What about the kingdom of God? Thy kingdom come. 
What about his will? What about his will? Do you know in the book of Thessalonians, Paul teaches us through the Holy Spirit, this is his will. What? Your sanctification. Thy will be done. Lord, sanctify me. His will has two parts. Sanctify me, O Lord. Sanctify. That was Jesus' primary prayer in his life. We saw that in Hebrews 5. Right? Hebrews 5, 7, 8. Even in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Sanctification. His prayer was towards what? Sanctification. Thy will be done. Because if I am not sanctified, how will I be used by God? That's the second part of his will. First part of his will is be holy. Second part of his will is I use holy vessels. In Timothy, what does Paul say to Timothy? Letter to Timothy. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Did you see what it means thy will be done? His will doesn't begin with the world. His will doesn't begin with the church. It begins with me. For me. For you, it begins with you. Sanctification. Usefulness. Do you see? Everybody says, God, use me. God says, your usefulness is directly proportional to your sanctification. Do you understand the truth? Understand the truth? You also know Romans 12, 1 and 2, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, all that. Now by the renewing of your mind, do not conform to the pattern of the world. We will know what is the good, the pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Thy will be done. This is the truth about prayer. It is not subjective. It's not subjective. It is guided by the Holy Spirit through His truth. Lot of people, their prayer is like reading the newspaper. Monday morning, it's Hurricane Florence. Tuesday, it is a tsunami in Indonesia. Thursday, it is a typhoon that is hitting Japan. Wednesday, it is the earthquake in Iran. Meaning their prayer life is tuned according to the TV they are watching. And you call it prayer? The tower at Siloam fell down and many died. Herod killed somebody and mixed their blood. And Jesus said, Lord, today I am praying for those who died over there. Today I am praying for the families. He didn't pray those prayers. You see, our prayer, we are very subjective in our prayers. And because we feel so much because we heard and saw these sights, we think we have prayed. God says, did you pray? Did you pray? I'm not saying any of those prayers are wrong. I'm saying whether those prayers are true. It's not about right and wrong. It's about whether it is true. The Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for. That's the first thing. First thing when you go to the prayer closet. The first thing if you encounter God is, Lord, I 
don't know what is to pray for. Because prayer is connected with your kingdom. And I do not know. I know what's happening in Japan. I know what's happening in Indonesia. I know what's happening in Iran. But I don't know what's happening in your kingdom. And my prayer life is about your kingdom and not about the disasters that is happening in this world. Because I'm a kingdom person. I'm a kingdom person. What we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself make intercession for us. With groanings which we cannot be uttered. Why? He who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You understand? Do we understand what prayer is? The letter of the law kills. Because by the letter of the law, we can say, I prayed my prayers. I always kept my devotion three times a day. God says, when you stand before me on judgment day, all your prayers will be thrown into the thrash basket. Because you never asked my spirit what to pray for. And I told you what to pray for. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. That's where truth comes in. And truth is scary. But truth doesn't change. That's why the that's why people run from truth. They like all this feel good gospel which makes you feel so good. But truth demands a choice. Whenever truth comes, it demands a choice. We saw last day, Herod took Herodias' brother Philip's wife. But John spoke the truth. He said, it is wrong. Who said it is wrong? Because it is written. It is wrong. Herodias was mad. So Herod put him in prison. And one day, he was drunk and took his head off. Did that silence truth? No. Does truth change your situation, Herod? Yes, no. Because you cut the head of the man who spoke the truth, truth can never change. You are still what truth proclaimed you are. You are now on top of that, now you got blood of a saint also on your hands because you silence the voice of truth in your own life. That's what happens to people. When they hear the word of God, they get so angry with the preacher and they go out and murder him. And God says, on top of the sin that convicted you, you got now blood on your hands. Blood on your hands. That's why Jesus says, his blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He says, the word, the truth is very offensive to the persons who are not seeking truth. But it should not offend because that is our commendation, our truth, our word. So be very, very practical about these regular activities in life. Start a little. You don't become this great praying person. There's nothing like great praying person. But you start by getting into your closet, shutting your door and say, Lord, teach me to pray. Tell me what to pray for. Bring into my mind. Let me pray with understanding. Then bring me into my spirit. Pray through me, Lord. Here am I. I don't want to waste this most most incredible experience and opportunity I will have only in this life. In the next life, nobody is going to pray. Who's going to pray in the next life? This is one time opportunity we have to intercede for the saints. Can you imagine, instead of praying for the tsunami in Indonesia, when he got on the knees, God says there is a, 
a sister in the prison lying in China, uphold her and suddenly you get it, you pray and over there in the prison she rises up in strength because one part of body lifted her up. Being very practical because the days have come now. There's no time to waste. We are at the very, very end. The whole world is going to hell in a basket. It's going crazy everywhere. Really crazy. You don't have to worry about it. I will look at the craziness and keep you informed. Now don't go after the crazy. Go after God. Let's be very, very practical about these things. Okay? So, prayer is we communicate with God and God communicates with us. That's why when God came to communicate with Adam, he ran. He ran. Why? Because there is no truth. That's why we run from our prayer closets. Because we are more afraid that he might actually talk to us. We are like John's John's, uh, father, John the Baptist's father. Once in his lifetime he got an opportunity to burn the incense in the holy place and when he was burning the incense an angel came and he was afraid. What did you expect to see in the holy place? Chicken. You see, we do these things without even believing. If you ever went to your prayer closet and says, Lord, and he says, yes, we'll have a heart attack and die because we are not used to expecting God to speak to you. And yet he's a God who speaks. God who speaks. Once you have Heard from God at the beginning of your life. That's what Jesus always did. Early in the morning, I was telling somebody who came to office this week, he said, if you look at Jesus' life, what he knew was true, he believed for himself, he taught others, he never pushed it down on others to practice. And I don't think I ever make you do anything. I teach and I leave. And never come and ask, did you pray according to what I preached on Sunday? Did you do? I have never ever asked. Jesus used to wake up early in the morning. I believe tiptoed without waking up Peter, John, anybody. Because he is going to pray. And prayer is something that has to come to natural. You don't wake up sleepy guys and say, come along, I'm teaching you, pray with me. Only once he said, that was on his last day, he said, pray with me. And they fell asleep. There are a lot of things in the kingdom of God which you can only do Personally, you can teach it. Personally applied. You cannot practice this as a group. It's not possible. Because to do something, there needs to be conviction. And convictions are different. Second thing, after talking to God, Jesus talked to God, heard from his father, worked about his sanctification. Lord, save me from death. Not the death on the cross, but the death that comes from sinning. So his entire prayer is, Lord, let me not sin today in any way. Thought, word, deed, let me not sin. Sanctified comes, and now he goes to the midst of the people. So after our relationship with God, begins our relationship with people. And Genesis 2.18, we have to understand what it says. The Lord said it is not good that man should be alone. So, your relationship after with God begins with your spouse. If you're married, your family. Okay? So, it begins with 
fellowship. Fellowship. We were created for fellowship. We are not created to do jobs. We are created for fellowship. Jobs comes later. That's why in Acts chapter 2 verse 42, it is put right there at the top. And they continued steadfastly for the apostles' doctrine. Instead of apostles' doctrine for today's teaching, let us put their truth. Steadfastly in truth and fellowship. Let me ask you this question. Is fellowship right there at the top? Fellowship with God and after that fellowship with man. Now when it comes to fellowship, understand truth. What is truth? God's word. What does God's word say? Very powerful. We know it very well. But let us look at it differently today. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And people hear that. Some people their heart goes down, liver expands, lungs collapse. Because most of their fellowship is with unbelievers. There are, you read the whole thing and then it will come back. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Wait a second. Wait a second. Five very important terms used there. First is fellowship. What fellowship? Second is what? Communion. Third, what? Accord. Fourth, what? Part. Fifth, agreement. Do you know what God is demanding from fellowship? What God is demanding? Do you know the truth about fellowship? What God demands of fellowship? And he says the issue is here is, looking at his deed, many, many Christians, if you honestly look in the mirror and ask them, who are your friends? Often, it's outside the body of Christ or those who are compromised in the body of Christ. Look at it carefully. What God says. Go up. Righteousness with lawlessness. Think about it honestly. It doesn't matter how cute your friend is. When you're sitting face to face and spending hours together, God says, righteousness, lawlessness. Righteousness, lawlessness. How can you fellowship? I'm not talking about being friendly, kind, compassionate, all that with the people in the world. I'm not talking about that. That's perfectly fine. I'm talking here about fellowship. If I am able to fellowship with somebody in the world for more than 10 to 15 minutes, what do we talk on? How do we talk? Almost every time, every day, if I meet an unbeliever, conversation is usually about weather. Because even politics is dangerous today. How is the weather? What did you eat? What did you cook? I'm talking about own flesh and blood on WhatsApp. There's nothing else to talk. Nothing else to talk. Because in everything else, always truth comes. You can disagree about weather. It's not important. 
Understand what fellowship means. Light with darkness. God doesn't mince word in his word. Christ with Belial. What part? It's a believer with an unbeliever. What agreement has a temple of God with idols? Do you see? He says, I walk in you. I walk among you. If you, I said, I am your God and you are my people. He says, if you come out from among them and be separate, now you suddenly realize there is a price. Truth has to be bought. I look at it and says, okay, Lord, if I really, really have to experience fellowship with you and really, really know that I am your son and you speak to me as a father speaks to me as a son. Lord, there is a price. I could be misunderstood. They could call me narrow-minded. They could tell me, you are rude. You don't like us. Yet you say your God is love. You don't love us. You have to buy it. And it will cost you. The question is, how much are we willing to pay for the truth? Instead, I always think about Enoch. When I look at Enoch's life with just six, seven verses of his entire history in the Bible, I look at him and say, Lord, how did this man walk with you for 300 years? What did it cost? I look into his life and the fact he was taken along, I believe it cost him even his fellowship with his wife to walk with God. What will it cost? We are not saying it costs, but we are willing to pay the price. Instead, we take out our fig leaf costumes and we say, I am okay. You are okay. It's, look, honestly, I don't know how you go to work tomorrow. It's none of my business. I don't want you even to know how you go to work tomorrow. But I'm just telling you so that you know how you go to work. I'm telling you, so many Christians, Sunday when they come to church, whether men or women, they're absolutely kosher. Because they understand. I don't know what they understand. At least in this church, they are kosher. Tomorrow when you go, you won't go like this because you know it will immediately affect your fellowship. Affect your fellowship. So you're willing to compromise on your fellowship with him so that you can fellowship with them. And don't tell me why you don't hear from God. Let me talk about light and darkness. Okay. I am sitting in the light. Let us say you are sitting in the dark. If I have to fellowship with you, you know what I have to do? Have to become dark so that I can fellowship with the dark. That's what believers do. 
They don't become the light. They become dark to fellowship with the dark. And God said, it's my life you are hiding. Because in him was life. That life was the light of men. Every time I turn the light off, I am killing the Jesus in me to fellowship with the world. Are you willing to pay the price? Do you know why people don't get saved? Because the church has no testimony. Because they don't even see the need to change. That's why Jesus said, if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The conversations we have, forget clothing, leave that alone. The conversations we have. The topics we pick on. The ideas that permeate in our office places. Don't dim the light. Because the light is not your own. It's his life in you and me. That's why the question I said two weeks back, it's not what is truth. The question is, can we handle truth? Can we handle truth? Do you know, let me tell you a truth about evangelism. I believe 90% of this multi-billion dollar evangelistic effort is being spent in the free world and not for the underground churches. They don't need it. Billions and billions and billions of every media possible is being poured to save the people who are free. Well, the one who is in China and Korea doesn't need anything. He knows the truth and he's free. He doesn't need a tract. He doesn't need a song. He doesn't need a video. He doesn't need anything. See where all our money is going? Look around the world and what's happened to Israel. Look into the history of Israel in the Old Testament. God told Israel, over oh, truth has fallen in the street. No righteousness, no justice, no equity. He says no. And he says if you don't change, if you don't change, who is coming? The Babylonians are coming. The Assyrians are coming. Persia is coming. Did they believe? Did they repent? No. Did they come? Yes, they came. Israel was gone. Then 240 years or later, Judah was gone. History is changed. Small remnant out of that came holding on to the truth. Europe is gone. Because Europe was given the truth first. Europe is gone. The same Babylonians and the Assyrians have already overrun Europe. They have taken over the streets. They have taken over the parliaments. They have taken over the media. They have taken over everything. And out of Europe will come a small remnant alone will come out. Europe is gone. They have no voice. Absolutely no voice. Because truth never changes. It cannot change. The battle that is going on, interestingly, is the last place in the free world is in America. There's a battle going on. I wonder how many of you listened to the Senate hearings for Justice Kavanaugh. Millions upon millions were riveted around the world listening to what is happening. 
and the screaming and the shouting and the girls on the streets, the girls in the corridors, the women, everything. But people don't understand that. Three factors over here. One factor I want to talk to you, young people. Okay. What people don't understand is what is this battle all about? Do you know what the whole battle is all about? Why are they so the Democrats, the leftists, everybody so opposed to him? One thing and one thing alone. It's about abortion. They are afraid if he is sworn in and that 1972 or 73 Roe versus Wade when abortion was on demand made legal in America, somebody brings the case back, abortion could be made illegal again. That is the fight for. That's why you see the women on the streets. In America, you can have after morning pill, one day pill, two day pill, every possible way of contraceptive given by the government free. Still by mistake, if I get pregnant, I still want to kill my baby. I'm fighting for that right. Do you know how warped the mind has become of the human being? A Christian nation? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's not about rights, what you think about rights. That's why I said we have become a feminicized culture. These things did not begin yesterday or today. Truth fell not in Capitol Hill, not in the White House, not in the Congress. It fell first in the church. Fell first in the church. Here is the judge. I don't know the truth. God alone knows the truth. Even the FBI will not be able to find the truth. That's the nature of truth. But here is he being accused by all these people from a something that happened 36 years back. 36 years back. A woman comes from 36 years back. She's 17. She's 15. He was 17 in some house which she cannot remember. And she says, he tried to rape me. And he was drunk. She was drunk. All this question. My question to, I was talking to Pastor Vijay and said, you know, Pastor Vijay, one issue that all happened over there, if he were able to tell like Daniel, I don't drink. Case closed. But he says, I drink. I love beer. And he told it at least 10 times in his 40 minute testimony. I love beer. I love beer. I love beer. I'm telling you, no, young people do not know one little choice you make in your teenage days. To drink or not to drink will have consequences, eternal consequences and even consequences on earth. You know that man, Justice Kavanaugh, he's younger than me. Do you know what it means if he's sworn into the Supreme Court till he dies or he retires? He's the, one of the, he reaches the pinnacle of his career. Supreme Court justice for life in the United States. And you know if he does not get confirmed, it will be why? Because as a teenager he chose to drink. was to drink. People do not realize choices have consequences. That's why to make right judgments, you and I need truth. And truth is this, not what popular culture says, or your friend says, or your peer group says, or the TV says, or the newspaper says. This defines your life. And if you have made your mistakes, come back to it. According to this, turn back to God and say, it's over. I will lift you up. I will lift you up. Because 
You look at the ideologies working and you have been looking at for the past hundred years. I have been studying, reading these movements of how it is being starting with the unisex movement to gender confusion, bathroom loss. It's all there in the making hundred years back. You don't even understand. Even in India, the India, I got a WhatsApp message saying that if the genders are equal, what is to stop a man and a woman using the same bathroom in public places? It is law in many states in America. It will become here too one day. Because that's the way the world will go. You need to understand what is this all about. It's about patriarchy. It's about white supremacy. All behind that there is an agenda. It's all aimed at not the white man or patriarchy. It's against aimed at God and his children. I want you to read something. Do you have it? Let's read. I will read it for you. Some of it will be difficult for the young ones, but listen to it. Okay. This week... Amid widespread democratic tumult regarding the selection of a replacement for the Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, alleged comedian Michelle, Michelle Wolf paid tribute. The most important facet of American life, that is abortion. On a Netflix show on Sunday, Wolf dressed up in red, white and blue and shrieked into the camera, God bless abortions and God bless America. She explained, women, if you need an abortion, get one. If you want an abortion, get one. And women, don't forget, you have the power to give life and men will try to control that. Don't let them. Along with that inane outburst, she justified abortion itself. Look, she stated, access to abortion is good and important. Some people say abortion is killing a baby. It's not. It's stopping a baby from happening. Well, some people say Michelle Wolf is killing comedy. She is not. She's stopping comedy from happening. But more importantly, a ground shift has taken place in how Democrats think about abortion. Back in 2005, I wrote that the democratic, safe and legal and rare formulation regarding abortion was logically and morally untenable. If Democrats wanted abortion to be rare thanks to its inherent immorality, there was no reason for it to be legal. Democrats have finally come around. They are now shouting their abortions, proclaiming it from the rooftop, suggesting that there is a moral good achieved by abortion. Thus, Lena Durham said two years ago, I still haven't had an abortion, but I wish I had. Thus, Chelsea Handler, who had two abortions, explained in the pages of Playboy, I don't ever look back and think, God, I wish I had that baby. The article was accompanied by the picture of a woman's hand with a raised middle finger with a pink bow around it. Attached to the bow is a small card that says, It is an abortion. Yes, abortion is now a signifier that you refuse to be ruled by patriarchy. Avoidance of pregnancy may be a wife life choice, according to third wave feminists, preventing women from being sucked into the grinding maw of maternal life. But abortion is something better, a signal that you don't care about the system. System demands that if you're pregnant with a child, you make your own concerns secondary. That system must be fought. Gloria Steiner once remarked, if men could pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. But modern day feminists have determined that abortion is a sacrament. Especially because women can get pregnant. Showing that control over your body even extends to the killing of your unborn child is a way of standing up against patriarchal concerns with women as a source of future generations. I can't in the world think in US, how can a Christian vote Democrat? If you really know their ideology. If you really know your ideology. 
For Michel Wolff, abortion is just another decision. It's a giant middle finger to the moral establishment. Those who fight abortions are desacralizing the mysterious holiness of a ritual that reinforces women's control. No wonder Wolff thinks God blesses abortion. Abortion is our God. Do you see the lies that empower movements? See, this Young girls and some effeminate men. If you look at all these effeminate men with them, they all look same. They have this curly long hair and round glasses and they'll be walking behind these women. Meaning we subscribe to whatever you say. Abortion, abortion. You want an abortion, I'll help you with it. No, they have no idea what is driving all these ideologies. The lies of the devil. The life is sacred. Do you know in the world you're going into? Do you know the world that we live in? In one week, I was telling in one week, history has been made in India. One week. One week. Why? Today's 29th. Tomorrow's 30th. First, second. Today's Sunday. Tomorrow, Monday. The day after tomorrow, the chief justice retires. Before he retired, he changed all the laws. Because he was a stooge planted by the ruling party. And as the chief of the rooster, he decides which bench the cases go. So he took all these cases under himself and junior judges. And he had changed the face of this nation for decades to come. Legalized. Everything legalized. I was telling Vijay, look, I'm not a Hindu, I'm a Christian. But I'm telling you, as a citizen, I don't agree with him what he's talking about Shabrimala. What does he know about Shabrimala? Shabrimala, the deity over there, is a celibate. It is talk about a young man, avatar, who never got married. He never wanted any women coming near them. That is why girls under 8 and women above 50 or 60 who don't menstruate were only allowed to go there. What has got women's equality to do with that? Why do governments and courts get into the realm of religion? That's not your business. Do you see? Do you see one week what has happened in one week? Do you think in those terms, oh, it is equality? Equality, equity, these are, this, there's no justice in those things. If he was a real God, he would come down and kick all the women out. Get out from here, I don't want to see you. When I was on earth, I didn't want to see you. Why do you want to see you now? You know, ideas ideologies. We have no idea the guiding principles behind this world. So be warned. Be careful what we are coming into because we do not know. That's why I say 49.14 says, truth is fallen in the streets. Unless truth starts rising back, God is not going to do a thing because he is the God of truth and he is truth. And the Holy Spirit who moves and does things is the spirit of truth. He is not going to do one thing contrary to the truth. So the pivotal address, Isaiah 59, this one, right? In Isaiah 59, that whole chapter, go back and read. In verse 1, he asks a question. The whole chapter asks the question. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor is here heavy, that it cannot hear. He says, you think my hand is shortened? Do you think my ear cannot hear? He says, no, I can do, but I will not. Why? Because truth 
has fallen in the streets. His issue is never with the world. His issue is always with Israel in the Old Testament and with the church in the New Covenant. Truth did not fall in the streets of Babylon. No, it did not. It fell in the streets of Jerusalem. It didn't fall in the streets of Babylon. Babylon did not know truth. The world does not know what truth is. They do not know Jesus. In the same manner, it did not fall in today's world. It fell in the church long before it appeared in the world. It fell at the pulpit and it fell in the pews. We all know this. I don't know. I guess you know this familiar words from Ezekiel 22 where God cries his heart out. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed their deeds on their heads, says the Lord. He says, I did not want to do this, but I am a God of justice. I'm a God of righteousness and I'm the God of truth. So I looked for one man. One man to stand in the gap. But I found none. We use this and make it into prayer themes. Let me ask you this question. What is the kind of man that God is looking for? Jeremiah 5 and verse 1. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek in our open places. If we can find a man, one man. If there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks truth, I will pardon her. For Sodom and Gomorrah, God said, I need ten. For Jerusalem, he said, one, one, who will stand up and speak the truth. I will have mercy on the church. One, one. Do you see God's standard? When Abraham came down to ten, Scripture says God turned around and walked away. That's it. Ten for the world. One for Jerusalem. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman who says truth will stand up in my life? Then I will stand up. And I will speak your truth. And it doesn't matter what it costs me. I will be the man who will stand in the gap. And I will speak your truth, O Lord. That judgment does not come upon your people before they are ready. One man. Because if truth is fallen, everything else comes to a standstill. God's arm is not shortened, nor his ears heavy. But like an old preacher once said, the only prayer God hears from a sinner is the prayer of repentance of sins. He dwells with those with a broken and a contrite heart. He still does. I don't know how many times we heard that today. I think we heard during worship. I think we'd heard it during prayer. And now we are hearing it through the message. Read Isaiah 59 today. So much is happening. A society that is being bombarded with evil. Churches which have become so worldly. That sometimes churches look more like the world than anything connected with Christ. Because truth has fallen. We have brought truth down to the ground level hoping somebody will get saved. Nobody is going to get saved. He says, lift me up. Lift truth up. Not push truth down. 
We are so afraid of our friends getting offended and leaving us than them going to an eternal hell. We are afraid. Truth has fallen in the church. Not in the world. Everything that has been legalized in US and in India first was accepted in the church. The church. 1 Timothy 3.15, this is what God said. But if I am delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. How you ought to conduct in the house of God. When you are talking about the house of God, it is not about the gathering of the people. We are the house wherever we go. How? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. You see what the church is? The church is the ground on which truth is established in this world. It is the pillar on which this entire system stands. And if the ground is broken and the pillar is fallen, what do you think the world is going to happen? That's what Jesus said in John 8, verse 30 and 32. He spoke these words and many believed in him. And to those who believed him, he said, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Abide in my word. Stay in it. Live in it. And you shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. There is a battle going on. The enemy is weeping over this world. And I look at a generation and I say, Lord, how can they be saved? How can they be saved? See the difference, let me tell you this difference. God said, and therefore you shall print Bibles and send them out in millions to the world. He didn't say that. So it's good. And you shall make movies with Christian back. And people shall become, he didn't say that. I'm not saying it's not useful, it's good. Good entertainment, good sound. You shall make songs and put it on YouTube and people shall... He didn't say that. He said, you shall be my witnesses. You are my witnesses. That's all I leave. And then to his apostles, you go preach the gospel. Teach them to obey. And it is through our life the world gets converted. They get either mad or they turn. And if neither is happening, we killed him. You all know that song. You all know that words. Probably you are not able to place it. When the enemy comes in like a flood, he'll raise up the... Who can sing that song? That verse alone. How does the words go? Suddenly nobody has a singing voice. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of God will raise up a standard. Right? You know that verse, right? Do you know where that verse is? Okay, he got the song. Okay. Now let's, I don't want the song. I want the verse from Isaiah 59, the next verse. You know where the verse is found? 
So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. When the enemy comes in like the flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. What is the standard the spirit of God raises? It is truth that was fallen in the street. That's truth. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of God will raise up the truth. The enemy came in like a flood at Jesus. And he said, it's written. My feelings don't matter. My hunger don't matter. My power doesn't matter. My abilities don't matter. One thing matters. What is it? It is written. And that's the truth on which I love. But if we are not able to raise the standard, the same God in his same word says, when the flood comes... You will be swept away because you took refuge in lies. See, we love declaring the scripture without knowing the context. The standard means like a flag. What you raise up against the enemy is his truth. Without truth, we have no standard. Without truth, we have no power. Without truth, we have no faith. That's why In the book of Ephesians, when it comes to rulers and powers and darkness and principalities and all those things before even we step one step, he says, put on the full armor of God. And where does it begin? Ephesians 6, 14, put on the having gird your waist with truth. If you heard so many sermons, you know the Roman soldiers, all his things, everything hangs on to this. It is true. Everything in a man's life hangs on to truth. If there is no truth, everything falls away. Your righteousness goes, your faith goes, your peace goes, your salvation goes. You have no power because truth is in there. Everything hangs on truth. Guard yourself with truth. And Jesus is the truth. And his word is the truth. That's what scripture says in Isaiah 59 and verse 19. When the enemy comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard. That is his truth. Hebrews 12 verse 22 23 says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Did you feel like that today morning? That you have come to Zion? That's what he calls the church in the new covenant. Now, do you know what he said in Isaiah 59? The next verse in 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion. He will come. He's come today too. And to those who turn from transgression, says the Lord. And the Redeemer comes to Zion, to the church. What's the first thing he says? Turn from transgression. Turn from your sin. Turn from your worldly ways. Turn from your carnal ways. Turn from your wicked thoughts. Turn from your violent words. Turn, turn. And if you turn, as for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit is upon you. If you turn, Lord has come to Zion. If you turn, I am making a covenant with you. My spirit is upon you. 
And my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth and nor from the mouth of your dissonance, not from the mouth of your dissonance, dissonance, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. You see the incredible promise he makes? The same God who began with that, my arm is not shortened, my ears have not heavy, it is your sins and your iniquities you have separated you from me, ends up by saying that the Lord has come to Zion. If you turn, do you know what I will do to you? Your children and your children's children. Because God will always, always have a faithful remnant. Be part of it. The Spirit will come upon. Watch the Spirit. Because the Spirit can depart. In 1 Samuel 16 and verse 40, Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. He didn't know. People knew. He didn't know. Saul did not know. All the people around him knew. Why? He was angry all the time. How can the Holy Spirit be upon you and you are an angry man all the time? People knew. He didn't know. He became a man of violent words and actions. Why? The Spirit of the Lord left. Don't let the Spirit leave. Judges 16.20 says, And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Why? Because the anointing sold it at her lap. It's gone. How will you know? You will know if you fool around like him. One day you go to office and you realize no more success. It's gone. I didn't realize. Oh my gosh. I didn't realize it is God who brought me through. And now, everywhere I go, I'm failing. I'm failing. I am failing. Or you are a preacher, you come behind the pulpit, one day you come like before thinking you can preach and you realize the power is gone. It's gone. Why? Because the Spirit of God has departed. Understand scripture. Understand truth. That's why Jesus told the people of Noah's generation, the spirit will not contend with you. He's always contending. What is he fighting for? He's fighting for truth to rise up in us. This is the truth. David cried unto the Lord in Psalm 51 and verse 11. Please don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Look at the difference. It was not taken. But he's crying. Lord, I goofed up. I did all these terrible things. Murder, adultery, deceit, lie, you name it. I have done it. My only cry is, Lord, I don't want to sit on the throne for the next 37 years and die. That's not my ambition. My ambition is don't take your Holy Spirit from me, please. Don't cast me away from your presence. So I'll live 37 more years away from the presence of God. David said, not one more day, Lord. I don't want don't take your Holy Spirit. That's why to that man, 
God says in First Chronicles 17 at the end. Okay. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, when you must go with you, with your fathers, I will set your seed after you, who will be of your sons and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father. He shall be my son. I will not take his mercy away from him as I took it from him who was before you. Not telling David. David, you cried out for my spirit. You turned away from transgression in Jacob. The Lord has visited Zion. And I am telling you, my spirit will be upon you. My words will be upon your mouth and your dissonance and your dissonance and your dissonance. Therefore, the throne of David continues till today. Because he said, what you say is true. It doesn't matter how much it hurts, how bitter it is. You tell me about me, that's true. And I'm okay with it. I will live with it. I will live with it. What you say is true because you are truth. Therefore, as we close today, there was an interesting conversation with the Lord of Glory, the Prince of Peace, God who was truth himself, outside in Samaria, beside a well, with a woman who had five husbands and was living with the sixth one. There's an interesting conversation between the Savior and the redeemed. And this is the conversation. He's telling her, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father seeks those who seeks truth. What is the new covenant? God is raising up a set of worshippers. And who are the worshippers? Those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. He still seeks God is spirit. And he did not say, therefore you must worship in the spirit. He says, yes, worship in spirit and truth. God is spirit. And you must worship him in spirit and truth. The question is, can we handle truth? As I close, for the sake of my young, lovely generation who are Fascinated by the moving screen. I won't tell you any names. Okay, I will not make that mistake. There is this movie. I think quite old movie. Old movie. I won't even now. Now I am very careful. I won't even tell the actor's name. This is an airplane pilot. He's a functional alcoholic. You know what a functional alcoholic is? Who can drink, but he can work. He's a functional alcoholic. That day when he's about to fly, he's had three drinks, two bottles. And the third bottle he took into the cockpit and he drank and put it in over there. And young and the pilot is there. He's an experienced pilot. And the pilot is, the plane is taking off. And they go through the worst storm, everything. And it's, he does a miraculous, turns the plane upside down, turns it, turns it on, crash lands. Six people die. In the crash, the rest are all rescued. This enormous federal investigation, everything going on. They have 10 of the best pilots on simulators and through the entire process they found nobody could land the plane the way he landed. He was a genius. Everybody tried in every simulation, all passengers died. In his case, except for six, all passengers 
are. They know this is out of this world. But the investigation is going on. And during the investigation, while he was in the ICU, his blood was taken. Blood was taken. Everybody's blood was taken. In his blood test, it says alcohol content is high. In the cockpit, everything is examined. They found two bottles of gin or whatever it was. So, they are trying to kill because they know this guy is good. So, the pilot's association, the lawyer, everybody, they cancelled that alcohol report. They said, we will kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. But he has to go for the hearing. They said, that is not admissible. This is not admissible. Everything. Finally, he has to ask this question. Both the hair had died in the accident. They asked him the question. There were two bottles found in the plane. Uh, do you know who drank? Everybody is watching. Okay? Everybody is watching. And he's churning inside. whole crowd. And then he says, it was not three, two. There were three bottles. I drank. See, the whole thing changes now. It doesn't matter. He had this miraculous landing. You pilot the plane under the influence of alcohol. The law comes in and he's sentenced to prison for six years. That's the law. And Movie ends with him sitting with a set of prisoners and his setting said, you know what? I think I'm the most free person in this prison. The truth set me free. Our problem is not we are not willing to accept the truth about ourselves. We blame others. My husband did it. My wife did it. My children did it. My grandfather did it. My teacher did it. That's not the truth that will set you free. God doesn't want witnesses to come and speak about you because he already knows everything about us. What is not looking for the truth, he is looking whether we will be a witness to the truth. Yes, Lord, I am responsible. That's all. So you're free. That's the truth God is talking about. That is the truth God is talking about. That's what he's asking Jacob. Last time we talked about why Israel is blessed, right? After all those years of running, unless you bless me, I will not let you go. What's your name? (laughs) What's your name? That day that man, even in a movie, said, my name is functional alcoholic. My name is pornographer. My name is dope addict. My name is angry young man. My name is foul-mouthed man. My name is Jacob, the deceiver. God said, I'll change your destiny. And I will change your name. And I will change your future. Because you looked at truth face to face. Unless we do those things, As God shows us, we are fooling ourselves. 
all our success in the world, all the money we make, all the certificates we hang around the house, all the trophies we keep in our glass boxes will be worth nothing when the trumpet sounds. Nothing. Then when we hear the voice, we will run for cover. Because then we will realize, I am not the son of the second Adam. I am the son of the first Adam. Let's hide. Let's hide. While the second Adam, stripped of everything, hanging on the cross, had nothing to hide. Nothing to hide. That first let me tell you, I hold nothing against them. Just forgive them, Lord. Let them go. Nothing. Nothing to hide. Understand the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom that is built on truth. Like David said, God looks for truth in the inward parts. That's all he looks. That's why scripture says the son of God did not come to condemn. He came to Save. When we reject the truth, what do we do? We condemn ourselves. We pass judgment. That's what Jesus said. Even I won't judge you that day. That day, when you stand before me, books will be opened. And your words, my words, will stand in testimony against you. It is written. This is what you said. It is written. This is what you did. It is written. This is what you text. This is written. This is what you emailed. This is written. This is what you watched. No need for jury. No need for witness. No need for lawyers. All black and white. Up there. You decide, he says. Simple. That's why let this define our lives. Because I really believe there isn't much time left. Because the world is changing too fast. Too, too fast. The radicalization of the world has taken place. And what struck me was when homosexuality was decriminalized in India. Nobody talked about our rich and culture and heritage and our of six thousand not even a whimper from the RSS. Not even a whimper from anybody. Except the believing advocates who argued against that in the Supreme Court. There were believers, advocates who argued, said it's against the tenets of this word. Not even a whimper. Have you realized now when evil is being good, there's no response. People are celebrating it even in India. Celebration of evil. And you are afraid to speak. You are afraid to speak. You don't have to speak. You just have to stand. You don't have to be an activist. No. But stand for what you believe. Have the freedom. Because I get these calls from people who work in companies. What should I do? I said, walk away. Should I go for that party? Walk away. And they have this conversation. Walk away. Why? Your silence is your witness. You don't have to argue. Walk away. Don't dim the light. 
taught them the light. Because the time has come and is coming where every child of God will have to stand like Daniel in Babylon. That will be the only witness left for God. You and I stand up and say, I believe. I believe. Shall we stand up? The light of what we heard today. I want all of us individually looking at our own prayer lives. That's where it begins. At our fellowship. Our relationship with God. And our relationship with man. Today. For this week, another month is beginning. The tenth month. Two things we look. Lord, how do I relate to you? Do I have a private space with you? Do I ever shut the door behind the world and sit with you? Do I speak to you? Do I ask you what you think about me and the things I do? Do I really have an ongoing relationship with you, Father? Because you said, it's written and we heard, if you come out, then I will receive you as a father and you shall be my sons and daughters. Help us to cross-check our lives. That we are not too busy. That we are not even aware. That voice that spoke in Eden has ceased in our own lives. The voice that will warn us of the impending doom has ceased in our own ears. The voice that has said Will I let anything happen without my prophets knowing? He's not warning us. Hurricanes come, typhoons come, tsunamis come, earthquakes come, and we see the righteous and the wicked perishing together. No warning. Has your voice. Have I sinned against that voice? Help us to check our lives, Lord. And help us to check our fellowship. By compromising in my fellowship, have I put off your light? That I have become a blind guide to the blind. That I have valued the approval of my friends in the world. Than be horrified by the fact they could go to hell. World calls it tolerance. God calls it compromise. What is in the world is not the same you say in your kingdom. The world will say you are a tolerant child. God will say you are a compromise believer. You pretend you are Philadelphia. But I tell you you are Laodicea. 
help us to check our hearts. This last few days of this ninth month of God. Because the Lord has come to Zion. And those who dwell in Zion, if they turn from their transgression, your unbelievable promise still stands for God is true and he is truth and he never changes. And you will put your spirit upon us. You will put your words in our mouth and your promise will pass on to our descendants too. And your promise is yes and amen. So many little children in this house today, Lord. So many little babies in the house. Babies, one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old, so many babies. So many parents. Pray, Father, that there be a quickening in our hearts. For every decision we make is a spiritual decision. It will impact us and our descendants forever. Today, let's truth stand up in our heart, in our life, in our street. So justice will turn back. Righteousness will enter. Iniquity will rush in. Because one man, one woman sought To stand up for truth. And become the witness for truth. And I pray from here Lord. More than one will arise. Quietly. Like Joseph and Daniel. Standing where you have placed them. But true. To the one who is called true. And faithful. Willing to pay any price. Any loss. Because truth has to be bought. And not sold. Thank you, Father. As we go into another week, I pray your hand will be there around us, beneath us, holding us, and above us, blessing us. Go before us, Lord. Continue to speak to us. Continue to change us from within, Lord. Let no heart become hardened, Lord. No heart. Let none of us look at our work And be deceived by our heart. Let our hearts be always naked before thee. Our minds be always naked before thee. So that you judge the very thoughts and the intents of our heart, Lord. And we say, you are always right. Let every man be silent. And God be true. Speak continuously into our lives, Lord. Let your voice not cease in us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Let this tenth month bring enormous revival in our lives. Individual lives, individual homes, and therefore the church. Let revival begin with us, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. Now by faith, we lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name, Lord. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We ask all this, Father, in the precious, matchless name of Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen. Amen.